Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Christine Sloan. Christine believes that everyone can participate in cultivating the good in our world. This fact is both terrifyingly large and absolutely actionable, and Christine loves a good action item. Christine's a trained public speaker and facilitator who holds a Master's of International Studies specializing in rural development. Prior to joining Starty Block, she worked in international development for six years, founding and leading teams across the African continent and in India. Christine's convinced we can imagine and build systems that enable people and planet to thrive, especially if there's sufficient coffee. Thank you for joining us here, Christine. I'm delighted to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ursula. So you head up an organization called Starting Block. Can you tell us more about it and uh, just to kind of set the stage? Yeah, so Starting Block really fundamentally is kind of sitting at this position where we're seeing that the world is changing um, and shifting in pretty dramatic ways. Um, You know, we have, we're encountering, I think, some of the legacies of the past. Um, we're encountering what it means to live uh, through climate crisis and the ways that we're organizing in our communities and in our workplaces are, are really pretty different from the ways that they have been at least for the last 100 150 years. Um, and so in the midst of that, um, really what we're seeing is that the language and the kind of how we understand leadership in this moment um, is, is not meeting where we need to be in the future. Um, so what does it mean to really be shifting the entire, we have like a culture around leadership, these kind of norms of what makes a good leader, what makes someone effective, etc. That whole culture needs to shift around leadership and around work. So starting back is really, okay, how can we shift the culture of leadership so that we are creating more justice and more sustainability on the planet? Mm. Um, well, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, we do that work through, we run a fellowship program. So we identify leaders who are kind of already demonstrating throughout their work that they are living into these values, that they have the potential um, and maybe connecting to a community of other people similar to them would be helpful to amplify and kind of and, and move their work forward. Um, and then we also do this work with companies and organizations who, um, you know, want us to come in and do transformational work with their full team. Okay. Well, I, I mean, leadership is clearly your focus. And on, on the website of Starting Block, you talk about your mission as convening and developing leaders and companies who value connection, community, and courageous leadership. And what does courageous leadership look like for you? Yeah, I think it looks like a lot of different things. One, one being um, having courage of conviction. Um, I also think of courage as that space where you're intersecting with fear as a leader um, and so holding 
and being courageous in spaces, particularly I think for the kinds of leaders that we are bringing in, where our, our shifting the culture of leadership, we always talk about is both theoretical, so you know the theory behind what makes a good leader, but also embodied. Who are the leaders? What do they look like? Um, and a lot of our norms make spaces that are not safe for a lot of different kinds of leaders. And so I think there's a, a piece there within Courageous that is, how can I um, step into a situation that's uncomfortable and how can I be courageous to use my voice so that the situation becomes more tenable for other people to be in leadership? Hmm. Well, I, I mean, there's a difference between fear and discomfort. So, I'm, I mean, you use that word fear pretty intentionally. What, what kinds of examples are you thinking of in that context? Um, I can speak from my own experience. Uh, I think, you know, the, the moments where I feel I've shown true courage as a leader have been those spaces, and this, this pulls for me the work of Brene Brown, where um, there is a, there's fear and there's vulnerability in that space, and that's what is making it feel courageous to me. Um, that it is, it's kind of tugging on all of my personal stories, the stories that I understand about the world, and yet I'm still choosing to step in to um, a conviction, to showing up how I want to be showing up, to even showing up in the first place, right? Some of us like don't go into spaces because we're afraid or they make us feel vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, one of those elements has definitely been, um, we do a, obviously a lot of public speaking, a lot of facilitation. And just really using my voice and telling my story, um, that is a muscle that kind of moving through the fear and vulnerability within that, that's a muscle and a practice that I've really had to like hone in on over the last few years. And I would say it's, it's probably less courageous for me now because I'm more comfortable with it. But at the beginning, <laughs> those first few times, I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but I knew that, that me stepping into the space and using my voice and knowing when to hold the space and not use my voice. Like both of those were elements that were going to be critical for starting block as an organization to move our mission forward. Well, and in the starting block fellowship group is, um, I mean, a, a large part of that population is uh, it's very diverse. I mean, there's a lot of uh, folks of color. There's um, there are women. And, and uh, so it's, you know, those kinds of issues come up more so for groups that are not seen as the cultural norm, even though things are shifting and changing around that. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think um, Starting Block's not perfect. I think we, we've, we've been very much a diverse organization for a very for a long time, a long part of our history, been around for 16 years now. Um, and I think we're doing the work to be more inclusive and equitable every day. And, and that is um, new practices, new habits, and, and who we're uplifting in the fellowship community. I mean, I think if you asked Starting Block a few years ago, we might not have said that we were really building a, a, a cohort of leaders to shift us towards justice. We might have said we were building a cohort of leaders that are diverse or something like that. And so we're intentionally um, framing of language and, and that language cues um, positionality and kind of lines in the sand. 
Hmm. Well, uh, part of that statement that I read about the mission is and valuing connection and community, which you're alluding to, they're almost buzzwords now. It's, it's kind of like, yeah, we value connection. It's almost something that people feel they need to say. And, but when you see that in companies and organizations, how does it show up? What are some signs that there's, that's actually happening? Go counterintuitively, I would say <laughs> one of the spaces for me that signals that there's authentic connection and authentic community being created is that there is um, very clear conflict mm. or dissonance within the team and that folks are voicing their opinions. I, I find that if you're really seeking to bring people together and have everyone show up in the space authentically and feel seen and heard that conflict is is kind of just got to be the norm and how the group handles conflict um, needs to be the norm and where there are spaces to you know restore relationship after conflict occurs but I really you know those teams and companies that we're in where it seems like everyone's on the same page I either think okay you have a problem with bias and <laughs> or or this is not really a organizational culture centered in connection um, because Ooh. connection does does require some level of authenticity yeah, I love that you're just being straight out about ha seeing some conflict within an organization because inevitably people are going to disagree and it's about how you handle it. Do you sweep it under the rug, hope it goes away? And I, I just recently uh, facilitated a, a session about around where there was an element around building trust and people were very clear that they really wanted to hear the truth in a kind and yet direct way. So that's, uh, I think, part of building a, a culture like that. Yeah, we have a, a lot of leadership frameworks that we um, train and we you know, use to facilitate our experiences when we're bringing people together, when we're doing the convening part of our mission. But our most popular and always rated the highest workshop is one that's actually on how do you work across points of tension? Um, and how do you really honor different value systems, different approaches to work, different styles of leadership. I think it's just kind of like, again, it's that narrative of like, well, this style of leader is the most effective. Um, and that just seems absurd, uh, at least to me. <laughs> like, we're all so different. We probably should be able to reflect different styles to one another if we want to be in situations where we're, we're handling complexity well, where we're stepping into like emergence and this moment and a broad spectrum of, of work. Mm. I love that your most popular uh, offering is around navigating those points of tension. That's, I think that really demonstrates a need for people to be able to do that and a desire to want to work through it. Yeah, and that it's very human, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, well, how does that all show up in terms of, of navigating points of tension within starting block itself? I mean, I'm assuming that you want to model the same traits that you're, you're building with other organizations. Are there, uh, what are some uh, ways that you're doing that internally as well? Yeah, one of the ways that we think about this with our fellowship community um, specifically, which can kind of mock as an internal culture to starting block, is mm. we have 
a lot of feedback loops and they're very visible. So we do feedback at the end of each day of our, we have a kind of a signature program, which is the five day institute. And you go to a five day institute at the end, you become a starting block fellow kind of onboarding into the fellowship. And each day at the end of it, we do a round of public, what we call pluses and deltas. So things that went well for the day and things that you would change about the day. And um, our team sits and kind of mirrors back the feedback that we hear, and then we take a record of it. And doing that publicly in the beginning when we're onboarding people into the culture really does help to set the norm of we want to hear your feedback. You are co-creators of this experience. Um, and, and we try and iterate when we can um, within the institute experience itself so that there is that sense of, okay, they're listening, they're, they're um, being responsive. I think in terms of modeling on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, that culture of feedback is pretty heavy. We get feedback a ton <laughs> from our fellows. <laughs> um, and we do it imperfectly. You know, I, I, I think in our best days, when we as team members are much more like centered and, and, you know, in a good place, like we respond to the feedback, I think, really well, which is coming from that values-based place, coming from a place of appreciation, like, thank you for voicing this feedback. It helps us to get better. And sometimes I hear other people's feedback and I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, like I do, it's a very human, human nature. And so I think that then it's like, okay, how do, I, how do we make sure that we are taking a record of this feedback and holding it for a time in which we're in a better place? And, and I think about this with our community. I see when we're when publicly there are moments of turmoil, um, I would say more pronounced than is kind of the norm in this moment, that uh, the mood of the moment can reflect in how our community shows up for one another, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so how do we hold the space for that? I really appreciate the way you're looking at that, that it, it holds the humanness of the receiver of the feedback and also honoring that yeah this feedback's been received how do we how do we create a space for it that's really going to do it justice and sometimes it's not the moment yeah. and yeah and uh, you just got to move on and and uh, but but come back to it when the, the time's right. And I, some of the traits that you talk about developing in the fellowship and, and elsewhere is being self-aware and mature, the maturity of taking responsibility, but also managing it in a way where you can honor the other person and self-awareness about, well, here's where I am in this moment. I can't take this in or, or work with it. Um, so the, the humanness of that process is really quite, um, refreshing because there's a tendency for consultants sometimes to feel like they always have to be absolutely spot on every moment and of course that's not possible for anyone right yeah and we're definitely trying to model at all times you know that as an organization we really do believe the things that we are out in the world talking about and the best way to ensure that people understand that you you believe it that the organization believes it. I think it's for the organization's leadership to model, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And 
those pieces that we have kind of four tenants that we would say are, are key for the future of leadership and the self-awareness piece, the maturity piece, competency, connection. There are pieces that we have internal metrics around within our organization, how we are showing up in spaces, how we're modeling those, those tenants um, of leadership and, and how we're getting feedback to ensure that it's not just us who thinks that we're modeling it, right? But it's the mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's so important. Well, what do you think is the the impact of that kind of leadership of all the elements we've been just talking about? What do you think's the impact of that in the larger world? Just to kind of take it beyond and look at the ripple effect of of developing leaders like this. Yeah, one of the ways that we look at our impact is to measure how our fellows or the people that we're working with shift their demonstrated leadership. Mm. So a lot of that is, are they working better with their teams? Do they have more, what they would say are collaborative relationships with their teams? We also see that our fellows are actually being um, promoted at pretty staggering rates. So one in five of our fellows gets promoted within one year after their institute. Mm. Um, that, that, That behavior of leading from the from these places, from these tenants, is um, creating upward mobility. I think for our fellows. Um, another, I think, you know, broad strokes where this feels really important is I I pull on this quote from Grace Lee Boggs, um, activist, organizer, and teacher based out of she was based out of Detroit. She's passed. And she says, transform yourself, transform the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so, we've kind of depersonalized the workplace. And yet the workplace, and, and I will call the government a workplace as well, is really where the future is being created. And there are people in those workplaces creating the future. And it, it requires, I think, a different, if you can have a different relationship with yourself, our theory is you can have a different relationship in your workplace with your coworkers, and then you have a different relationship to the kind of work that you're doing. Um, one of our core pieces of connection, we think about not only as connection to other people, but how are you connecting your work into the legacy of the work that has come before you and the, the legacy that you are going to leave within the work. So how does it connect through time? Um, and, and I think that like where we see that happening is in these shifts in people's demonstrated leadership, but that investing in leadership development is inherently a long game. And now after being in operation for more than a decade, I can see, oh, one of our fellows founded, for instance, a company, it's called Goldie Blocks, and they do um, engineering toys for girls. So her yeah. thought was, I want to disrupt the pink aisle. Like, why is every toy for women? <laughs> um, and it's now like a multi-million dollar company. And she founded it after, after bringing the idea through a starting block institute. I think of the mm. fellows who are not entrepreneurs, but who have led um, the talent and development for presidential campaigns in the last 10 years. You know, just like the ways in which our fellows are creating change within their own organizations or building new kinds of organizations that are out in the world. Um, 84% of our fellows say that Starting Block helped increase the social or environmental impact of their work. Well, that's really encouraging. And, and I'm certainly seeing a shift to a new paradigm in business as a whole. And I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on changes that you've seen, like Larry Fink of BlackRock, the largest investment 
firm basically in the world is uh, speaking out about companies needing to have a social environmental impact in their missions and Danon, a large multinational becoming a B Corp. What are your thoughts on, are you seeing this paradigm shift? What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's so funny to me because I did a podcast interview a couple years ago and I, I said this then and I hold it to be true now. I really think that the term social entrepreneur, social impact organization, whatever you want to call it, it like we're not going to have a need to separate them in the future. What does it even mean to throw the word social in front of these companies? Right, um, right. And that we don't have time. Like we, we don't, particularly if you think about it through the lens of the climate crisis, like we don't have time for companies um, that are not thinking about these things, that don't have them within their their foundation. I I think that the signals from, from leadership around what is the new norm are really helpful. I think what they're doing though is just reflecting the work that lots of people have been doing for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. And building these movements. So I, I appreciate that signal is coming from the top. I don't think it originated there. No. Um, and, you know, for starting block, really where we said is within the work of, um, like Frederick Lalu, reinventing organizations, um, the Ready, Aaron Dignan, and evolutionary organizations. So really, really radically reimagining the workplace um, towards more self-management, towards authenticity, and towards this notion of purpose as something that is evolutionary for an organization. So as an organization, you'll have to be shifting your purpose and your mission regularly um, in this moment. And and that I think we're we're kind of at the I'd say probably the far end of that paradigm shift and, and seeing like these, we need to rethink everything about the way that we're working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we're seeing a lot of disruption in the way things are being done and certainly socially that's happening and environmentally too. I mean, just look at the shifts in leadership there. Um, Greta Thunberg has been, you know, an extraordinary um, kind of, uh, trying to think of the word figurehead in a way, but she's also um, catalyzed a lot of a lot of movement by other people as well. It's quite a, pretty extraordinary. Yeah, I, I mean, I love her. I think she's incredible. I also am like, oh, there is something interesting here about the fact that it is um, a white person who has catalyzed yeah, yeah, yeah. movement around when indigenous communities have been speaking this for always. Yes. And, and indigenous activists and organizers. But I think that she, in some ways, has created space. And then I, I do see, like, the rec- she's also a child, right? So mm-hmm. um, I see the recognition of the public, at least, in, in how we need to be telling multiple stories around activism and organizing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just another, another way of seeing that. So, yeah. Well, it, it's interesting you talk about social entrepreneurship and organizations, and, and I noticed that Starting Block itself is a nonprofit, and I'm curious about why you chose that business structure. I mean, I know you're not the first CEO, and uh, but I'm, I'm, it's interesting to me that it's not a social enterprise as opposed to a nonprofit. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I think it's like a legacy item. We were founded as to be an educational institution for um, entrepreneurs and impact professionals back in 2003 to really be a space outside of traditional academia because at, in 2003, 
social entrepreneurship was not something that was being taught in university. Right. <laughs> right. So our founders, Martin Smith and Blake Bible, really were trying to create a space where they could bring people together who wanted to learn and who are also practitioners. And, you know, that has definitely evolved. Now we're, we're almost 80% working professionals, only about 15 to 20% entrepreneurs now. But mm. at the time um, when we were founded, it was really intended to be this educational nonprofit. And interestingly, after four or five years, what they noticed is we've been thinking we were going to build this educational nonprofit. What we've really been building here is a community. And how do we learn to lead and support a community? Um, I, that really still being the heart of who Starting Block is, for me, pulls the thread of why being a nonprofit makes sense. Um, we're giving, you know, over $100,000 in scholarships each year for people to attend our programs, to become fellows. I think that that could go up. I'd love to see a model where it's sliding scale or where, you know, it's free to attend. We're working towards that. We're fundraising towards these things. Hmm. Um, and so for us, really, that social mission still lays at the heart of what we're doing. And, and we will... Um, make decisions often and, and sometimes I think against our, our better um, judgment, but we'll make decisions that are centered in our values as a nonprofit that I don't know that would make sense to make if we were entrepreneurs, if this was a business. Um, mm -hmm. Financial implications don't really make that much sense. Uh, right. Well, it gives you more flexibility to explore different pricing models as an example of something you just mentioned. Yeah. And I mean, you know, again, I think that like many organizations now, Starting Bucks is a good example of this where like it's fluid. So we're a nonprofit and we absolutely function like a nonprofit in terms of our core program, which is the Institute and that we are um, awarding these scholarships. We're bringing people in. We're, we're working as hard as we can to ensure access, you know, work with people, et cetera. Um, and then we can take the experience, the expertise that we have in training over 3,000 people and bring that to companies and organizations and charge, you know, at value. And mm -hmm. what, but what that does for us is funnel resources back in to support the community. And so we're able to, you know, I, I, I think last year we, we maybe had $5,000 in the black, you know, <laughs> we're very much a nonprofit. Right. Um, and, and, um, it's that how do you build a resourced organization within the confines of the law and like be creative around it just because mm -hmm. you're a nonprofit doesn't mean you, you can't have earned income just because you're an earned income sure. organization doesn't think, doesn't mean that you can't do things within the bedrock of your company that have a, a social mission or your values first. It doesn't have to be your CSR department, right? Mm -hmm. It's a company. Yeah. Well, in, in the nonprofits that I've worked with, I, I personally feel that a, a more leaning towards for-profit model is actually a valuable way of looking at, even from a fundraising perspective, how you bring in revenue, because all organizations ultimately require that. And so how are you going about it? And uh, that can be an invaluable way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, well you mentioned the fact that around 15 to 20% of your fellows are entrepreneurs. And I wondered if you, do you see any differences between them in terms of their ability to have impact? Um, I, I, I mean, one could argue that entrepreneurs have more 
um, I guess, flexibility in terms of the things we do within our own organizations versus what someone leading a, a larger or leading within a larger company has. I'm curious what your perspective is. I don't think there's a clear cut yes, no. You know, I don't know. I don't know the, the number surrounded. I think it would be pure speculation if I ever did. <laughs> I, I do know, I'll say this. I think that we, one of the problems of our culture of leadership in the past is that we have this notion of the leader or the entrepreneur as like a hero. Mm. Um, and the solopreneur, the person who makes change like radically possible, et cetera. And we at Starting Block are really trying to move away from that. You know, again, we talk about connection and, and we mean it. Like it's, if you are one person with an idea, you are not going to go very far. Um, it is going to require that you build relationships, you sustain meaningful connections, you listen to people, you, you stay at the heart of the work that you're doing. And, and so I would say maybe our entrepreneurs are doing things in, in new creative and bold ways, but they have teams of people around them, just like someone who's working in a big organization has teams of people around them. And so I have seen for instance, one of our fellows, like, I mean, radically changed the culture in a very stagnant kind of an organization, highly bureaucratic, Ooh. that meant a difference to tens of thousands of people's lives mm -hmm. um, within that company. And so, you know, I, I also think that, like, this notion of we have to impact as many people as possible, like, I think we have to make the impact that we can make and sometimes that is really beautiful on a small scale and we should be telling the stories of those of what is small and what is local just as much as we're telling the stories of what is huge and what is scalable mm -hmm. um, because it's like a patchwork right like we need all of them yeah I agree with you yeah how has your own leadership evolved how have you actively developed yourself as a leader oh my gosh so much <laughs> I think, you know um Working for Starting Block, working for an organization like Starting Block, constantly, you, there's a lot of dissonance that would occur if I were not constantly interrogating my own leadership with <laughs> an organization like Starting Block, right? And, um, and so I have, and, and I think I have evolved, I get a lot, I have a lot of structures for feedback, I have a lot of habits and practices that are really important to me. Um, I, when I stepped into the CEO role at starting block a few months after that, I like started working with a therapist on a biweekly basis. I think that's incredibly important mm. to how I show up as a leader. I have had a coach for the last almost five years, different coaches for different things. That's incredibly important. Um, for me, it has really been, I think the most dramatic shift I would say is, is I was brought up in that culture of be the hero, have the ideas, push things forward, um, focus on outcomes, you know, win. And that I see now that, that a lot of those behaviors are very toxic if we really want to be distributing out leadership within the community. And so what does it mean? You know, I have a, a 
post-it note on my desk that's like, lead with questions, not with ideas. Um, mm. Ask for solutions, ask for ideation, share accountability and responsibility. Like I have these as my reminders above my desk. Um, and, and that stepping into that space has meant encountering the stories that I created for myself around what it means to do a good job. Um, and, and that's really actually very hard work and continuous work. Yes, absolutely. And I love that. Lead with questions, not ideas. What a fantastic way to create uh, space for other people to contribute before they're feeling like they have to agree with you because you're the leader or, or you're influencing the process in some way. So it's a, it's a great mantra to have. Yeah. yeah. And we have to, you know, acknowledge the power dynamics. Like, <laughs> there is a real power dynamic of me being in a space as, as the CEO, both within our community, within our consulting clients, like all of those ways. And, and as much as I believe in distributed leadership and I believe in, um, in shifting leadership structure so that more people, everyone actually within the organization is leading, um, I still understand that in this especially in specific contexts. I mean, we work all over the world. Um, and so especially in specific contexts, like how can I, I know the power dynamic. So then how do I leverage the power dynamic on behalf of the community that I'm seeking to support? Hmm. And yeah. hopefully try to shift the power dynamic in some ways over time, you know, that's longer work. Yeah. I love, uh, that's a great, that's a great perspective. Yeah. Well, Christine, I always wrap up these interviews with, uh, Three questions about impact, rapid round. Are you game? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, so the first question in the rapid round is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Um, that it starts from me and ripples outward in various speeds of time. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's really fast, and that's just kind of the nature of it. Hmm. Oh, that's great. That aspect of speed is such an interesting one. Yeah. The second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Uh, iterated, changed, shifted, evolved, learned, those kind of things. Hmm. Okay. And the last question is, what's one piece of advice or an insight you'd share with someone who's asking themselves, how can I have more impact? How can I more positively contribute? Figure out, well, I'll say this one. Figure out what your friends ask you for support on, how they're hmm. asking you to help or how they're asking you to show up within the relationship and think through what organizations might be doing work where you could express that more often or what gap there might be where you could really like build something new. Mm. That's great. And it's part of that self-awareness aspect where, wow, isn't that interesting? That's what people see in me. That's the strength they see. And being able to call on that allows you to contribute. Is that a fair, is that yeah. a fair interpretation of what you said? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, Christine, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate having these conver this conversation with you around leadership and, and what Starting Block is doing. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? They can go to startingblock.org and mm -hmm. um, read through our work and our approach. 
And then there's a contact page with our, our emails and, and all of that information there. Great. And uh, that will be in the show notes so people can just click on that. So thank you again, Christine, and thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you so much, Ursula. Thanks for these really good questions. Enjoy the conversation. You're welcome. My pleasure. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.